History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 350th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, number 350. Oh, my word. (laughs) Say what? (laughs) We were in New York on the last episode. We're going to stay there for this one. We're going to be featuring the H.H. Richardson Complex, which was suggested by our listener, Karen Hubbard. She's also going to be joining us a little later to share some of the haunting experiences that she's not only had, but also heard from other people there. Love it. Some people may know this more famously as the Buffalo Asylum. So we're talking about an asylum here. And what's really weird about this is we know, based on our experience, is there an asylum out there that isn't haunted? This is true. This one, they're trying to say it's not. And you can't find anything out there about it being haunted. So thank goodness we have Karen, because otherwise we'd have no info on the hauntings. I was going to say, that makes research so easy. (laughs) Yeah, it does. I mean, I was like searching and searching and going, oh my gosh, if we didn't have Karen, you could forget it. Also, we had a lot of people that were glad that we were back again. I want to thank little Mo for his uh, cheerleading dance that he gave us. (laughs) It was amazing. He was very excited to have us back. We have a lot of people to welcome into the Spooktacular crew. We have Lisa, Maybell, Vicky with an I, Scott, Teresa with no H, Vanessa, Ashley, JP, Tanya, Glennis, Gloria, Jordan, Shauna, Jillian, Marianne with no E, Terry with an I, Lori with an I, Sherry with a Y, and Spud. And I thought that was so cool that that's his first name or what people call him because that happens to be my nickname from college. Welcome to the crew, everybody. And now this moment, Noddity. Massive shaking near the Kultieth River in southeast Alaska was picked up by an earthquake center in Alaska in 2015. The shaking lasted for eight minutes before the transmission stopped. The scientists knew from observing the data that they were receiving from this remote seismic station that what was registering was not an earthquake. So what could it be? Thoughts of the movie The Thing probably came to mind for some of these scientists. Whatever had caused the shaking had also damaged the machine. There are some who wondered if it was possible that a prehistoric mammoth had caused the damage. Mammoths went extinct at least 4,000 years ago, or so we've been told. But indigenous shaman claimed that mammoths were being hunted as recently as 200 years ago. The scientists decided that it was probably just a bear that destroyed the machine based on teeth marks. Mammoths had lived here at one time, and Alaska is so remote that the possibility that some survived is real. There are also reports that there is an Alaskan Bigfoot which could be big enough and powerful enough to destroy the equipment. No one knows definitively what destroyed the equipment and caused eight minutes of shaking. And that certainly is odd.
Hold the covers up tight. That chill you feel isn't the air conditioning. <laughs> and now, this month in history. In the month of September, on the 18th in 1973, Jimmy Carter filed a UFO report. The future president's sighting had actually happened in October of 1969, but he waited several years before officially filing the report with the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomenon. His story detailed how he was waiting outside a Lions Club meeting in Leary, Georgia in the evening. He looked up at the sky and saw what he described as the darndest thing I've ever seen. What makes this even more believable is that he was with a group of people who also saw the same thing. President Carter wrote that the UFO was very bright with changing colors and about the size of the moon, and the object hovered about 30 degrees above the horizon and moved in toward the earth and away before disappearing into the distance. Because of his own experience, Carter promised during the presidential campaign of 1976 that he would push for the release of government documents about UFOs if he were elected president. As we know now, that was just another presidential campaign promise not kept. Hotel Henry Urban Resort Conference Center sounds like a nice place to stay. Looks like a great place to host a wedding, and who doesn't want a historic Gothic structure in their wedding photos? Perhaps hearing that this location is situated on a War of 1812 battlefield might give one pause. Or maybe the fact that this structure was once an asylum might be worrisome. Would the fact that Frederick Olmsted designed these grounds cause some hesitation before booking? After all, Olmsted was a landscape architect who was notorious in supernatural circles for designing haunted property. It is not surprising that the former H.H. Richardson complex is reputed to be one of the most haunted sites in Buffalo and in the state of New York. Join us and our listener, Karen Hubbard, as we explore the history and haunts of the H.H. Richardson complex. Buffalo State Asylum opened in 1880 on what had been 200 acres of farmland overlooking the Niagara River and Lake Erie. And as we mentioned in the intro there, we also had a War of 1812 battlefield right down here. The cornerstone was laid on September 18, 1872, and the account about it that appears in the book The Institutional Care of the Insane in the United States and Canada states, The cornerstone of the hospital was laid before a distinguished body of people. The account written at the time says the display made by the military and Masonic order, including the Knights Templar, was the finest ever witnessed in this city, and had the weather proved propitious, the effect would have been grand. Governor John T. Hoffman made the opening address, and an oration was delivered by James O. Putnam. After the oration, Dr. James P. White, president of the Board of Managers, 
notified Christopher Fox, Grand Master of the Masons of the State of New York, to lay the cornerstone with the ancient forms of masonry. And I don't know how many people have looked into the Masons and the Knights Templar. I've been all over into the background of all that stuff. I'm sure we have some listeners who are some Masons. And we've also talked about the Masons and the Odd Fellows in previous episodes when we've talked about some of their haunted locations. But there's some rites and rituals and things that they do that could be considered a little bit part of the occult. So when you have something that is being laid with some of their rituals, and it's an asylum on a battlefield, (laughs) where I'm sure there were Native Americans at one time, we've got all kinds of things happening here. I would believe so. Construction had begun in 1870 and took 20 years to complete. But when it was finished, it was one of the most state-of-the-art asylums of its time. This was the first hospital for the insane to offer a training school for nurses. Like many of its counterparts, this institute was designed in the Kirkbride plan. And the grounds were specially designed by famed landscape architect Frederick Law Olmsted. Olmsted famously said, The root of all my good work is an early respect for, regard, and enjoyment of scenery and extraordinary opportunities for cultivating susceptibility to the power of scenery. He had a lot to work with because there were several springs on the property and groves of oak and maple trees. The architect of the asylum was the man for whom it was named, H.H. Richardson. And as Karen Hubbard informed us, Henry Hobson Richardson, he was the first and only architect to have an architect style named after him, which is Romanesque, Richardson Romanesque. Okay, I had no idea. I just, I recognized the last name being connected to that, but I didn't know that he was actually the architect and that's what they named it for. And this is the first Romanesque type building that he actually designed, the first one. And that's pretty cool that the Richardson Romanesque was named for. Yeah, I had no idea. It never occurred to me. The buildings were constructed from red sandstone and brick. A very unique feature was that the buildings had curved walls. And there was a reason for this. In many asylums, patients would be placed out in hallways with overcrowding. But these curved walls prevented that from happening here. So I thought that was interesting because most of the time when you see an asylum, it's very blocky, rectangular kind of buildings that have these wings coming off of them. So these were rounded out. Interesting. And this place has to be haunted because it is one of the coolest asylums I've ever seen. It is so cool looking and it's got these long towers on it. It's just gothic looking. It's the perfect setting for a horror movie. So there's got to be some spirits. The first buildings on the property were the administration buildings. There were five buildings and 11 wards, and it wouldn't be until 1895 that the final five buildings would be completed and finish the original plan. There are these two glorious towers, as I was telling you, Kelly, rising up out of the main building like some kind of gothic cathedral. Additional buildings would be added. In 1897 would come the building for the worst cases of mental illness that housed the operating rooms, hydrotherapy equipment, electrical apparatuses, and laboratory. An amusement hall, a male employee dormitory, a chapel, and home for the superintendent were added in 1905. Ward 35 would come in 1909, and this housed female tubercular patients. Ward 36 was built in 1913 and was a pavilion for contagious disease. So you can see now it's not just an asylum for the mentally ill. They're also bringing ill people here to like a hospital. Right. They have a little bit of everything going on. Basically, people they didn't want to have in the hospitals. This is where they're putting them. The first patients to arrive at the Buffalo Asylum came from the Utica State Hospital. And as was the case with all asylums, and despite the fact that this one was constructed to prevent the issues experienced at other asylums when overcrowding happened, this asylum became horribly overcrowded and old, outdated practices started to be used, meaning people were abused and living conditions went downhill. 
In the 1970s, despite restoration efforts, three buildings were demolished. The Richardson Center Corporation was formed by the state of New York in 2006 with the goal to rehabilitate the site. In 2008, stabilization efforts were made that were completed in 2012. During that time, though, a fire caused $200,000 in damage, and they never figured out what caused that to happen. In 2013, plans were made for the first phase of the development, and Hotel Henry would be born. Hotel Henry is unique in that it claims to be an urban resort. Their website describes it this way. Hotel Henry's urban resort is distinctive from the type of resort that most travelers expect. Instead, the surrounding city of Buffalo, its galleries and cultural institutions, architecture, nearby parks, are treasures to be enjoyed. The urban resort is the design-rich city of Buffalo itself. Situated on 42 acres within the city of Buffalo's museum district and cultural corridor, The Urban Resort Conference Center is surrounded by parks, lakes, museums, and connected to the fun and vibrant Elmwood Village. Enjoy a vibrant urban streetscape interwoven with sprawling parkways, local food, and shopping. An adjacent college campus, world-class museums and galleries, and nearby Delaware Park. Hotel Henry is centrally located among Buffalo's most eclectic and active areas. This is the Urban Resort Experience. Architecture firm Deborah Burke Partners, along with Flynn Battaglia Architects and Goody Clancy, which is a preservation firm, partially restored the former asylum. The hotel offers 88 rooms and many upgrades, but some original features are still here. There's a winged staircase, original moldings and fireplaces, and 12-foot hallways. From the pictures I saw on their website, it looks pretty cool on the inside, and I would never have guessed that this had been an asylum at one time. And since you can't find any information on hauntings, I doubt they allow tours. <laughs> mm, I don't think that, I know that they don't, because we're going to talk with Karen, everybody's going to hear a little bit about doing investigations there. It's not ever going to happen, so right. I'm sure they're not doing any kind of, they were doing tours before it became the hotel, because Karen will tell us about that too, but I don't know if they're doing tours now. I wouldn't expect that they would be if they don't want people to know that it's haunted. Well, I mean, just historical, oh, historical tours in tours. general. Gotcha. I know they're definitely not doing ghost tours. They've never right. done ghost tours there. Whenever I say tours, I'm always talking about ghost tours. I know. <laughs> What's just wrong with me? Assumption. Is there any other such thing? <laughs> just make that assumption. Yeah, I should. Uh, what I was meaning, though, was a historical tours. They've right. never offered ghost tours there. We found this article in the Buffalo Biz Journals dated to 2016 talking about the ghost stories connected to the building. And despite the fact that a haunted reputation is usually a selling point for many hotels, Henry Hotel developer Dennis Murphy said, I suppose from the outside looking in, those types of stories could be really interesting. Could be. I mean, hello. (laughs) But as someone who is making a big financial investment in this project, they are not helpful. But I already basically just said, uh, actually, they are helpful. I don't know what what you're not paying attention to. I don't know what era he's living in. (laughs) I mean, basically, Waverly Hills, that's how they're financing turning that into a hotel. Exactly. And despite the fact that Murphy claimed that he never experienced any activity and that a paranormal investigator interviewed for the article made the same claim, there are plenty of people who report having paranormal experiences here. One of those people is our listener, Karen Hubbard. All right. Well, I am so excited to have you joining me, Karen. One of the things that I love to ask all the listeners that we bring on who have suggested these fabulous locations is what got you interested in the paranormal to begin with? I think it was my first experience when I was younger. I had to be like seven or eight and I was over at my father's house. And at the time, the house had been 100 years old. And it was um, Easter week, that Saturday night, me and my sister upstairs sleeping. 
my father, you know, I'm assuming he was getting the Easter baskets ready. Gets up, lies down and everything. An hour goes by and I could have swore. Well, in my mind, I'm thinking it's the Easter bunny. I hear some hopping downstairs. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh my God. So I'm thinking, well, my dad didn't come up yet. He was in his spot. My sister was in her spot. And it happens again. All, of, all I hear was three thumps. Well, in my mind, it's still the Easter bunny. <laughs> sure. I mean, you're seven or eight. What are you supposed to think? Yeah, because I was assuming the Easter bunny was coming. And what did I know? I think it was more than the Easter bunny. And I actually was talking to my sister about it. And she thinks it might have been our grandmother popping up to say hi. Well, that would be very cool. That's not scary. Yeah. yeah so, I'm, you know, it's either my grandma or the Easter bunny. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of them did exist at one time. Although, I don't know, I could lean to maybe there is an Easter bunny. Yeah. Well, for my seven-year-old self, I kind of hope it was Easter Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> sure, because he brings lots of candy, so you want him right. to come to the house. What made you want to start investigating? Um, it was the ghost hunters, actually, that started me up. And they actually started me getting in, obsessed with the Richardson. So I'm assuming that you live in Buffalo? I live in Tondawanda, as uh, a suburb of Buffalo. Okay. So about 20, I'm about 20 minutes north. Getting to go see Niagara Falls is like nothing to you. Yeah, that's like 20 minutes from me, so I'm like right there. It's one of those places that I'd love to visit someday. Of course, it will be during the summer. Yes, because I know, speaking from experience, it sucks there in the wintertime. Even though it's pretty, it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> well, this complex that we're talking about, the H.H. Richardson Complex, the really cool thing about it is a lot of these places that have been former asylums are now abandoned, they're falling apart, but that's not the case with this one. When I started looking into it, I see that it's been turned into some kind of a hotel now. Yes, yeah, three of the buildings, I think there's a total of 11, three of the buildings now are a hotel, and they're talking about putting the other ones that are left into housing. So they'll kind of like, turn those into some kind of apartments or something. Yeah, like senior housing they were talking about. What kind of treatment did the people get there? Was it nice? Was it mean? I mean, we get all different kinds when we talk about these asylums. Well, it was the typical, whatever the time was. They had ice bath treatment, insulin treatment, and um, I know they did one of the um, lobotomies. I know there was two types of lobotomies out there. They didn't do the ice pick, but they did the other one. And neither one is yeah, neither very one nice. are good, but the <laughs> dice pick wasn't as humane as the other one. The other sure. one was more humane because they actually gave them a medication. Well, what's interesting is I was looking into Hotel Henry, which clearly has been named for the architect who built the complex. Yes. The guy who was the developer of the hotel, when they were talking to him about ghost stories there, he was saying, well, you know, I've been in there for quite some time and I've never experienced anything. I don't think anything's going on there. But and there's you who has actually experienced things there. Yes. And trust me, I'm not the only one. <laughs> when I was actually there helping out, the security guys, guards were telling me stuff about, um, you know, paranormal experiences. And the people who are doing the mason work, they were telling me stuff, you know. <laughs> so there's something going on there. So when you say you were there helping, what were you doing? I was kind of like a docent. Okay. I was just basically helping make sure nobody, people wandered off when somebody was giving tours. Gotcha. I was like a backup for the docent. And were these just supposed to be historic tours? Yes. Yeah, they don't want nothing to do with the paranormal. Yeah, so they're giving these history tours and they might have some paranormal going on even though they weren't really wanting that to happen. Yes. So what kind of stories were you hearing from security guards? Well, the one security guard was telling me, this was before they actually did started construction on the hotel. He would have to do his rounds outside of the building and then there were certain routes that he would have to take inside the building. 
So when he was um, doing his route inside the building, he was taking a video so he can show his friends what it looks like on the inside. Yeah, he was walking around. This is on the farthest west building, which would be female wards where the worst cases would go to. So it was, he was in the basement recording, and all of a sudden he just had this panic attack. And he freaked out and ran out the building. He didn't know what the heck happened. He was freaking out. He was scared. Oh, you know, I got to get out. He goes to the little trailer that they had. He happened to look on his video, and you'll see this little mist of a person run right into his body. Whoa. Oh, yeah. my God. So, yeah, he was, like, freaking out for a minute. He almost quit. But then he was talking to the um, maintenance guys or other people or something like that. And he, they were telling him, the one construction worker, they were actually, I think they were starting to do the construction, was in there. And he heard um, kids laughing. And one of the spirits knocked his hard hat off. And then he started feeling a little bit better since he was the only one to have stuff happen to him. Sure. <laughs> they weren't just picking on him. Yeah, it wasn't just him. What's interesting is him describing this mist coming at him. And then he has this panic attack. It, it almost makes you wonder if it wasn't, you know, the spirit kind of in him making him feel that way. I mean, it's possible because I've seen the video and you can tell when the spirit got into him because he's had, you know, he asked when his panic attack happened. You can hear the breathing. He was breathing really hard. Did you ask him if he's ever had panic attacks in the past? No, I, you know what? I didn't even think to ask him. But clearly it was something he was uncomfortable with. So I'm thinking he may have never had something like that happen before, which is why he'd be like, I got to get out of here. Because he didn't yeah. see it with his own eyes. He just felt something, right? Yes. And then he didn't notice it, that the mist until after he got outside and he was in his comfort zone. You have these construction workers who are getting their hats knocked off and stuff. Did any of them feel like they didn't want to work there anymore? I don't think so. So it was just kind of the, oh, well, it's just those, you know, something we have to deal with here. Yeah, I'm assuming they they, they kind of figured it was going to happen. Psych, old, psych hospital. So I'm assuming they're thinking something like that's going to happen anyway. But the thing is, they can't talk about it. <laughs> sure. That's what's so unique about this place, because usually, especially now, hotels want to put that idea out there because it seems to help their business if people think it's a haunted location. And this one is just like, we don't even want to talk about it. Yeah, they want nothing to do with it. Well, it doesn't make it go away. That's for sure. <laughs> I know. And I think it's getting worse too. <laughs> well, and I can only imagine now that you have people who are actually staying there in a hotel. It's just going to feed that energy. Yeah, so I'm assuming it's getting worse. While you were working as a docent, I'm assuming that you had some of your own experiences. Yes, I have. Well, the first one that happened when I was in the building, that was for the Museum by Moonlight tour. This is way before, I mean, a few years before um, the construction even started. So I was standing in Ward 10, which was the first male ward off the tower building. I mean, I was standing in the hallway, and it was me, another dog sitting at the other end of the hallway, and a few people coming to look at the building. And um, so I was standing there by this one door. It was the only door, basically, in the, the hallway. And all of a sudden, I seen it shut. And I could see everybody in the hallway that was in the building with me. So I'm like, okay, maybe one of them stuck in there. Mm -hmm. I go look, and then there was nobody in the freaking room. And there's no, there was no drafts in the building. Well, in this, especially in this building, because this one was sealed at the time. So I'm like, how the heck did that door shut? Sure. Or it was like, oh, it almost slammed. And these are big doors. <laughs> so it's heavy. It's not something that's just going to, you know. Yeah, no gust of wind would have shut it. Somebody had to help it. So that was my first one. <laughs> and in my second one, we were in the administrative building. This was before the um, construction started. We were given a tour. And at this time, there was maybe like one or two or three doors inside the building, total. 
because all the doors were taken down that were loose or bad. They took them out and down. So we were on the fourth floor, and we were the only people in the building to tour, maybe a couple docents, maybe like 10 people that were in for a tour. We kept hearing doors slam downstairs. And nobody else had the key to get in except for us. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then we were we gave the tour away. I mean, we, we, the tour was done. Everybody left. And as we were trying to leave, this is when the, the whole complex was gated off. We were locked in. We couldn't get out. So something locked you in there. They locked, they locked us in, didn't want us to leave, I'm assuming. <laughs> well, I've had that experience before, so I know that uh, spirits are capable of doing such things. Yes, they're smart. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how they get corporal enough that they can manipulate locks, especially if they don't have a key to do it, but somehow they do it. Right. We figure they're invisible, too, so they can situate stuff like that. Sure. You know, they don't have the physical body. I mean, we both know this is what we're going to do in the afterlife. We're going to pull pranks. Oh, like yes. This. A couple of, we have a list of people going we want to hunt, you know? <laughs> yes. And the last one I remember that was really neat. It was one, the last time the Goo Goo Dolls played. This is the second time they played a free concert here in Buffalo. And both times it would rain cats and dogs. But I remember usually as docents or volunteers would show up like about a half an hour, 45 minutes before the tour starts to make sure our route is safe. Mm-hmm. And there was no dead animals in the way or whatever, you know, because sometimes that happened with a, you know, an old building like this. So I ended up going in. I had to, you know, almost swim to the door we had to enter and had to go up these stairs to the main floor. I did that, and I was, I was there first. The other docent was actually volunteering at the concert. So I ended up getting there, you know, go up the stairs, maybe 15, 20 minutes later, you know, I checked the route, make sure it was okay. I go back to the staircase and sit there waiting for him to come in so I could let him in. I heard footsteps, wet footsteps coming up the stairs. Like, oh, yeah, he's here. Uh-huh. And, you know, they stop right by the door. I go open the door. There's nobody there except for a wet pair of footsteps. <laughs> so you actually are seeing wet footsteps. Yes. And it wow. sounded like somebody... With what shoes were coming up the stairs? I'm like, what the heck? Where did everybody go? Uh-huh. And I was kind of upset that I didn't have my recorder going. So I ran up, you know, the, the sec- up to the second floor, thinking, okay, maybe they went upstairs. There was nobody there. Went downstairs to go meet him. He wasn't there. There was nobody there. Well, physically, anyway. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, we know wet footsteps. They're not just going to, I mean, a person, if they've been standing there and left a w- wet footstep, they're still going to be somewhere in the vicinity at that point. Yes. Yeah, there was nobody um, solid there, basically. So when something like this happens to you, there's other docents there. Did you talk to any of them that evening and tell them what had happened? No, I didn't tell them anything about it. And did any of them ever tell you that they had had experiences or something similar happen to them? Yeah, there was this one um, docent was telling me he was helping with a tour. And then they were going into Ward 9, which is like one of the wards that haven't been touched in since 1974. I think that's when they actually closed the building down. And they were on their way over to that building through one of the connectors. And the docent was, you know, going on her spiel, giving her the history about the certain building. And he heard from upstairs just pounding and pounding. And the docent was like, you know, you can stop now. I'm trying to give a speech here. And it stopped. And to this day, both of them don't even know what the heck that was. <laughs> wow. And there was always a running joke between all the docents. I'm assuming it could be now in Ward 9. There was just basketballs that, you know, are pretty much flattened and will always be a running joke as to where they would be on each tour because they would move. <laughs> and it would make you wonder, are they fooling with us or is a ghost moving them around? Yeah. 
you know, the old roller skates from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Oh, sure. You know, the little, little wheels. For some reason, there's a big box of them in, in Ward 9. And you would see them all over, you know, it was scattered all over the first floor of Ward 9 for some reason. Huh. It was, and it was fun to see where they were and the basketballs. And, you know, there was this a twister board there, too, that was in the random spots. What's interesting about what you're telling me there is the next question I was going to ask you is before they started remodeling this into Hotel Henry, was there stuff that had been left behind? And clearly there was. Yes. I know there was, um, there were old chairs, you know, regular chairs and wheelchairs left behind. There were some beds, of course, you know, the basketballs. And I think there were some Christmas decorations in there, too. Now, did you hear of anybody dying on the property there? Yes, I know. There was one, Elise, was um, beaten to death. Mm. Was in, opened in 1880, December of 1880, and he passed. He was beaten to death like almost eight years after it opened. And he, his name was George Felton. I got obsessed with him. He was admitted in August, and he died in October. Wow, so he wasn't there for very long. And was it another person who was staying there, or was it one of the employees that did it? The papers kind of varied because, ironically, the person who was the employee who was on staff that night in his building ended up getting fired. So I'm assuming he had something to do with it. Yeah. Sounds like he was the guilty party. And obviously he got fired but never prosecuted for beating somebody to death? Yeah, he didn't. And and his family actually tried suing the complex or was suing the hospital and they didn't win. Wow. Well, you can see why there might be a haunting going on with uh, George involved. It's possible because nobody suffered for his death or his murder, basically. He was murdered in the hospital. Clearly, this place doesn't like to promote that they have some paranormal stuff going on. So have they ever allowed anybody in there to do paranormal investigations? No, they never let anybody in to do that. And when I was helping out, they knew I was a paranormal investigator because I didn't hide it. <laughs> and then when I found out that the one guy was, to me, attacked by the, the mist, I'm like, you know, I suggested have me just do a recorder and give them attention, you know, do an EVP session. And then they said they didn't need my help anymore. (laughs) Oh, you're kidding. Yeah, kid you not. So all of a sudden you were no longer a volunteer. Yeah. Wow. Now, you said earlier that you had a recorder with you. So were you taking one with you without them knowing that? Yes. And actually, I did um, one of the first few tours. I actually helped out. This is before they actually had more volunteers. I was one one of maybe two or three at the time. I actually left my purse in this little the volunteer room and left my recorder going. And I ended up getting some screams on it. Oh, like what kind of screams? Did they sound like somebody was in pain or scared or something else? Uh, it kind of like sounded like she was in pain. It was a female. Hmm. Interesting. Yes. God, that would have been very <laughs> freaky to catch that. Yes, and it was, the weirdest thing, too, was my purse. Somebody was moving my purse ah. the whole time. Yeah, it was the weirdest thing. <laughs> I think it was on for two hours, and yeah, the, my purse kept moving, and I got those sounds like screams, or maybe somebody was trying to talk or say something, but it kind of sounded like she was screaming, a female voice. Yeah, I mean, you can tell the difference between somebody who's just kind of chatting into a recorder and somebody who's screaming somewhere. Did it sound yeah. like it was close to the recorder or off in the distance? It was off in the distance. And so it, it makes one you... part, because you can tell we were in the building, but, you know, like a few doors away from where my purse was, you can hear us talking. You can hear a male voice talking, which um, it was one of the, not, not the tour guy, but one of the people who were in part of the tour talking, and then you can just hear somebody screaming. Makes you wonder if it was something residual, like they were doing something to her, possibly electroshock therapy or 
tying her down or something. And so she was fighting against it or just, you know, sometimes people who are having some mental issues will just scream. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. Who knows? And I feel bad. I can't, you know, go talk to them. When they were doing the tours, was it just the one building that they were doing it at? Or was it, were they trying to incorporate all the buildings into their tours? Well, at first, they only did it into the two, Building 45, which is the administrative building. And then there's Ward 10, which is the first male ward off Building 45, the administrative building. And then there was Ward 9. Those ones have been always, you know, since they started doing the tours, they've been available. Building 44, 45, and 10 are part of the hotel now. And I think they're incorporating the other outbuildings now, the ones that are safe. Have you been inside Hotel Henry since they transformed it? Yes, I go in there wandering around. My kids think I'm crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame you. So what does it look like on the inside? Because, I mean, this used to be an asylum, so it's weird to think that they're turning it into a hotel. I know they're doing that with Waverly Hills, too, but does it have, like, a a regular lobby, or what does it look like? I mean, it looks weird. I mean, I kind of like the way it looked before. You know, that was just my opinion. But it looks nice. They didn't really change that much of the building because they couldn't. Because of its historical value. Historical, yeah. And the hallways they couldn't touch because that's the historical part. And the outside they couldn't touch. So it's kind of changed. I mean, I think it looks okay, but I liked it better before. Well, I am really glad that you uh, have been inside of it and had experiences. Because obviously, since they don't like to promote that it has ghost stories, you know, there's it's hard to dig up that kind of information about it. I know there is. And it's great that you got the security guards to talk to you about stuff because usually they're the last people who want to tell you they've had an experience, but they're the most believable because of that. To you, like, what is the most profound experience that you've had that you can't explain? The USS Little Rock. Every time I went there to investigate, I, w- I investigated there like, I don't know how many times I would hear disembodied voices. I got my best EVP class A. Every time I would go there, I would get class A EVPs. I would hear footsteps. I would hear disembodied voices every time I went there. What kinds of things would the EVPs be saying? Um, there was one that said, I am home. Interesting. And it was in the, the medical ward or one of the medical rooms. And then the other ones, I can't remember, but they were female voices, which it would kind of be kind of weird thing hearing them because you would assume since they were, you know, ships used for males. Males that yeah. you would hear a female voice voices in the which is kind of weird but i hear though that one was used to help save people from korea and bring them over here or something like that oh maybe it was you know reason as to why they were female there could be females on there sure and who knows maybe they had nurses or something that would be aboard yeah that's true true too karen i want to thank you for suggesting the hh richardson complex and um i i should probably tell everybody i think you suggested this like five years ago (laughs) Wasn't it five years ago? I can't remind you. No. Well, Karen, you have a fabulous rest of your evening, and uh, hopefully I'll get to talk to you in the future again. Okay, yeah, thank you. Well, you have a good night, too. All right. Bye-bye. So, Kelly, that was a great interview with Karen. And in that, she mentioned that she had recorded a couple of EVP, and she actually managed to find them and send them to us. And we're going to play them here and see what people think. And I'll go ahead and play it again. Now, clearly, you can hear some voices in the background talking. So there's got to be a tour going on. But it's just weird that there's that extra little high-pitched, almost like she described it, a kind of scream or some other kind of noise that's above it. Could possibly be coming from the tour, something carrying through the hallways. But 
I just thought that that you hear murmur, 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 this high pitched kind of sound, and then another murmur. I'll play it again. And now I will play the second one. And I'll play it again. The interesting thing about this one is that I don't believe that there was a tour going on with this one specifically. And you don't hear the murmuring of a tour like the other one. And then there's just kind of this through the right the middle of it. Female again? sounding voice again. Yeah. Both sounded female to me. High pitched. Again, maybe it was a noise coming from somewhere else. That's a problem when it's not just you in a location where you can right. verify it- who all is talking. And it's also tough when you didn't experience it yourself because Mm -hmm. you, you know, clearly if you were there, you remember what's going on at the time as you're re-listening to your tape. So it makes it difficult as an outsider who wasn't present at the time to determine, you know, if that could be an EVP or not. Exactly. And like when we go in and do an investigation, I know a lot of other paranormal investigators, ghost shows that you see on TV They don't always play it a lot and we don't play it a lot, but we do have a lot of talking over, you know, in between things saying, okay, this is the room that we're in. If we hear a noise or like my stomach growls or something, I'll say my (laughs) stomach just growled or so that we know, okay, there might be something that we think later on is a noise, like a growl. And then it's like, no, it's just somebody's stomach or something like that. So we try to, if we hear a noise, say there was a car in the background or somebody just hollered in the background. Exactly. So that we know that, ooh, that was not from our group or it was from our group. So what do you guys think? Paranormal investigator and Buffalo Ghost Walks guide Mason Winfield has an interesting theory we had not heard before. He has said that basically it's not surprising that the mentally ill have a greater tendency for hauntings because they have higher functions of the unconscious mind. I had never heard that theory before, but I found it fascinating. I did as well. I would love to know what our listeners think about that, because generally speaking, a lot of people who have some form of mental illness, let's say schizophrenia, and I'll look at a movie like A Beautiful Mind. He was schizophrenic and he would see these people. And we hear a lot of the time that schizophrenic people hear voices and things. Is that that they have more of an active unconscious mind because they're creating these things that are not really there, but they think they're there. That to me means you've got a very creative, unconscious mind thing happening and you're projecting that. So that being the case, we know that hauntings are something that's unconscious. It might even be something that we make up from our own unconscious minds and project out. Sure, that we're projecting. Yeah, it's another theory of what a haunting could be or a poltergeist. They say, you know, sometimes it's a person who's a teenager and they're projecting that energy out. Exactly. So is that why we see a high prevalence of hauntings and asylums because you had all of these mentally ill people in there with these higher levels of unconscious activity that is stayed. And maybe that is what is imprinted. Very well could be. Maybe it's not just about emotions. Maybe it's the unconscious mind imprinting something out there. I just love all this stuff. It just makes it fun <laughs> to think about and roll around in your brain. It's I do too. And the, but it is frustrating too because it's like there's never going to be an answer. Right, exactly. Not, not till later on. Yeah, hopefully. I'm hoping when we pass on to that, we get the answers. I would hope so. 
A young woman and her friends visited the Buffalo Asylum when it was abandoned, and she said, It looked like someone snapped their fingers and everyone disappeared. There was still medical equipment and hospital beds inside. She said there were no ghosts, but she definitely got some intense feelings. A floor partially caved in and the group started running. The woman said, When we saw a sign for the morgue, I said, Screw this. I need to get out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, come on. The morgue could be a fun place. (laughs) She had felt overwhelmed by fear. All I can remember were my emotions. I wanted to die. Which makes me wonder if she was sensitive. Was she picking up on something else? Could be. Many times we say you go into a place with fear. That's what you're going to get out of it as well. Absolutely. I I completely agree with that. That's what I believe. The idea that a former asylum would not be haunted is ludicrous based on our experiences. There's just far too much energy left over regardless of what renovations have been made. Maybe one day Hotel Henry will embrace the past and embrace its spirits. But as is the case with all of our episodes as to whether this location is haunted, that That is for you to decide. We'd love to have you guys check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. We got a comment from Danielle on our website. She said, a folly is a type of building, Kelly. I was fascinated by that. I had no idea. So then, of course, we had to run to Google (laughs) to follow up on that. Yeah, because I'd always just thought a folly was a misstep, a mistake, something that would lead to your downfall. So when they were calling these buildings, these people's follies, I thought, oh, it must have been their ruin, but they did really well with it. And then you, what did you find out on Google? So basically, the folly style is that it's just audacious. It's for aesthetic pleasure more than function. Yeah, so it's just really fancy, even though it didn't need to be. It's kind of like <laughs> right. this person's like, look at my really cool looking building. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, so it's not necessarily a positive. So it really is kind of a negative if they're calling it a folly. But it's an actual term referring to the type of building that it is. Indeed it is. The more you know. The more you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I always love learning stuff like that. So thank you, Danielle, for letting us know that. Yes, we definitely appreciate it. Want to thank Scott for all of his comments over on the website, too. Absolutely. I believe he's in competition with Logan as far as leaving the most supportive comments. (laughs) I think you're right. He was he had about as many on there. Want to let everybody know that I did an interview with Leslie Fear on her podcast because I want to know. So check that out. I really enjoyed talking to her or talk a little bit about what got me started on the podcast and the different haunting experiences that we've had and Talked a little bit about mine and Kelly's investigation at the Velisca Axe Murder House. Also, remember, the Flash Fiction Contest ends this week. So make sure to get your entries in by the 6th of September, 2020. Midnight is the deadline. Eastern Time. Coming up quick. Yes. So I want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to welcome back Karen Sanders. She is going to be placed under an obelisk headstone. Rachel Lindsay is also going to be placed under an obelisk headstone. Thank you for raising your contribution. Cynthia Moss has raised her contribution as well. She's going to be moved into a garden tomb, which means she's also going to be getting a mug in the next three months here. And Scott Booker is brand new to the cemetery, and he will be moving into a garden tomb as well. So he'll be getting his logo mug in three months as well. So amazing, everybody. We could not do this without our executive producers, and we really appreciate you. 
Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And I thought that was so cool that that's his first name or what people call him because that happens to be my nickname from college. Tell me about it, Spud. (laughs) (laughs) For all all those people that know the Grease references. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But indigenous... Oh my God! (laughs) The cornerstone was laid on October... (laughs) October... How about September? I don't even know where I would have gotten October, but hey. Somebody's excited for Halloween. I am. And October, October is the best month, not only because well, it has course. Halloween, but it's it also has birthday. my birthday. <laughs> and had the weather proved pro- propitious? And had the weather proved propitious? Propitious? <laughs> I hate some of these words. Why did they have to have that in the quote? <laughs> it's a big word. You can do it. <laughs> If I was to sound it out and do it by phonics, it would be propitious. Propitious? Bueller. But I know it's propitious. <laughs> something like that. And had the weather proved propitious. Actually, I'm just going to freaking get the phone going and tell me how to say it. <laughs> Go to Google. Propitious. Okay, let's try that again. And the grounds were specially designed by famed... La- <laughs> That's not his name, Kelly. <laughs> recorded a couple of great i was just in the middle of talking and kelly's over there burping sorry so now everybody knows i'm not the only one full of air mia is not the only one full of air better the attic than the basement that is true you do say that a lot (laughs)